0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Unanswered Questions True Crime Podcast. I have spent hours and hours investigating this. He basically told her that people have been killed, journalists, independent investigators, people like that, disappeared. It frightened her to the bone. There's more to the story than meets the eye. There were rumors of torture and homicide and sexual abuse, all sorts of egregious, horrendous crimes. He was polygraphed three times each of those three showed evasions. resumes were a skeleton of truth. He was mad at the world and particularly mad at the government. The study that he commissioned described a fictional terrorist attack. If people have died over this, it means you're getting close to the truth. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say, what the fuck? Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy it and as always leave me some feedback on what you think about the show and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the Bumi Putra Malaysia finance banking scandal of the 1980s. In 1965, the government established Bank Bumiputra Malaysia Berhad, BBMB for short, in order to help Bumiputras get more involved in economic activities. BBMB's first chairman was, and I'm going to butcher this name, Tingu Rizali, who later became finance minister. Bumi Putra Malaysia Finance, BMF, was set up in 1974 as a subsidiary of BBMB and started operating in Hong Kong in 1977. By 1980, BBMB was receiving RM50 million a month from Petronas to increase their reserves, eventually making it the second largest bank in Southeast Asia at the time. Due to the property boom in Hong Kong in the late 1970s, a bunch of the money ended up there in the form of loans approved by BMF. The main recipients of these loans were a company called Carrion Group. Originally established as a pest control company by a Singaporean engineer named George Tan, Carrion Group was making lots of money in the early 80s, involved in a whole bunch of businesses from shipping to catering across multiple countries. But what gave Carrion Group legend status was when George Tan bought a super-premium commercial building in Hong Kong called Gammon House, now known as Bank of America Tower, for HK$1 billion in January 1980 and sold it less than a year later for HK$1.6 billion. This, along with skyrocketing share prices, made George Tan Hong Kong's corporate golden boy overnight. However, George Tan's high roller status didn't last for long. Hong Kong was a British colony and by the 1970s China wanted Hong Kong back. The intensified negotiations between the British and the Chinese in the 80s created a sense of political uncertainty and fear in the population which had led to a massive collapse of property prices in Hong Kong in 1982. This in turn affected the Carrion Group and by 1983 the Hong Kong Stock Exchange suspended trading in Carrion Group shares. For BMF, this meant that they were unable to collect back on the loans they gave to Carrion Group. Under normal circumstances, this could have been chalked down as an unfortunate business decision. But it turns out, as was later revealed, that BMF wasn't just lending money to Carrion Group, they were basically bankrolling the company with loans amounting to RM 2.5 billion. Worse yet, BMF weren't following proper banking protocols by overlooking dodgy paperwork from Carrion Group, and they were approving the loans without proper collection. Quote, to facilitate the acquisition of Gammon House, BMF alone held out a staggering US $292 million credit to a new $2 company solely controlled by the Carrion chairman. End quote. Now that was quoted from the Independent Commission Against Corruption ICAC Hong Kong case file. Now, in case you aren't familiar with the term $2 company, which I wasn't before I did this podcast episode and researched it, it refers to companies that are set up with a minimum capital of $2. This means that if the company cannot pay its debts, the people it owes money to can only collect $2. At the same time this was all happening, Bank Negara also started its own investigation into the BMF. This was kept on the down low for a few months until on July 19th, 1983, a body was found in a banana plantation in New Territory, Hong Kong, with a bathrobe caught around the neck. There was no wallet or identification on the body, but investigators found a 10-sen coin that fell between the lining of the pants worn by the deceased. He was later identified as BMB Auditor Jalil Ibrahim. On the day before his body was found, Jalil Ibrahim left the office carrying about HK36,000 in cash and informing his assistant that he had an appointment at a hotel with a client. It was common practice back in the day for senior bank executives to exchange currencies by hand for important clients. Police later identified the mystery client as Mak Phun Than, a Malaysian businessman who regularly travelled to Hong Kong. A short chase and a jump off the third floor of an apartment later, Mac was in the hospital under police custody. However, Mac claimed that he didn't kill Jalil, only helping to dispose of the body. The real killer was a South Korean man named Mr. Shin, however, when Mr. Shin was arrested in Korea, he managed to prove that he wasn't in Hong Kong at the time. While Mac was eventually found guilty of the murder, the actual motive behind Jalil Ibrahim's murder has remained a controversy to this day. Many have linked his murder to the Carrion group because, as the person in charge of the audit, Jalil was also the only person who could authorise loans. He had apparently rejected a US $4 million loan that the Carrion group desperately needed to keep afloat shortly before his death. By this point, Jalil Ibrahim's murder had attracted the attention of news reporters all over the world, and Malaysia was in the spotlight of a major financial scandal. Also, by this time, many people started asking the Malaysian government for answers, but they weren't very cooperative as mentioned the carrion group was a two dollar company so when the company went bust in 1983 the unpaid loans had to be absorbed by bbmb this took a huge toll on the bank to the point that and i'm going to butcher this name perma Nasanel Bahad, which owned 70% of BBMB shares, had to inject a further RM600 million to keep it afloat. However, there were many unhappy people because most of the money lost were actually public funds. The additional RM600 million from PNB, for example, was actually money from, and I'm going to butcher this name, Amnahar Saham Nasional, which came from Malay investors. Sorry if I get that name wrong. Many parties, including the opposition and trade groups, asked for a Royal Commission of Inquiry to investigate the scandal, which was denied by the Malaysian government at the time on the grounds that the BMF was established in Hong Kong, so it was out of Malaysian jurisdiction. Instead, the government established a three man committee of inquiry led by Auditor General Ahmad Norden. Sorry if I get that name wrong. The issue was also not discussed in Parliament because Tengu Razali, now Finance Minister, invoked banking secrecy laws to prevent disclosing any details of the case. But when the committee finally released their report in 1986, Mahathir, sorry, I that name wrong, refused to release it to the public because he didn't want the government to get sued by the people named in the report. Alongside public outcry, Auditor General Ahmad Norden himself asked the government to release the report and was apparently told by Mahathir, quote, if damage is done to the credibility or creditworthiness of BBMB, the bank will be fully justified in suing you for damages. Quote. Now that was quoted by Dr. Mahathir by the far recent Economic Review via Yik Koon Te. Now, Ahmed Norden and Chu Man Su, sorry if I get those names wrong, another member of the commission, agreed to take responsibility and the government made 2,000 copies of the report available for sale at RM250 each. Most of the copies, interestingly enough, were bought by BBMB. The government also released a white paper report a few months later that was said to be heavily whitewashed, meaning that they basically doctored the document so a lot of important and maybe sensitive information was removed. Among the things that the committee discovered were that BMF continued lending money to Carrion Group even after they announced they were unable to repay loans. Half of the RM1 billion funds allocated to BMF was unaccountable for. BMF's overseas lending limits were increased to allow more funds to be channelled to the Hong Kong branch even after other banks stopped lending to Carrion Group. And even then, the question remained, who was responsible for losing RM2.5 billion of Malaysian taxpayer money? Just to add to the mystery, there are two schools of thought on who was responsible for this whole fiasco. Officially, the pointy finger of guilt fell upon the five people in charge of the Hong Kong BMF branch at the time. Number one was Tan Sri Lauren Ismay Osman, director of BBMB and BMF, and I'm sorry if I get these next few names wrong. Datuk Hasim Shamsuddin, second director of BBMB and BMF. Number three was Tan Sri Kamrul Arafan, Group Chairman of BBMB. Number four was Dr. Rias Sanaman, Senior GM of BBMB's International Banking Division and Alternate Director of BMF. And number five, Ibrahim Jafar, GM of BMF and Chief Representative of BBMB. Sorry if I get any of those names wrong. I'm not very good at pronouncing names. All five were said to have close links to Karen Group Chairman George Tan, and had, as Dr. Mahathir himself revealed, received a consultation fee of HK three point three million from BMF on top of their salaries and allowances. Now here's what happened to those involved in this scandal. The investigation was carried out in Malaysia, Hong Kong and the United Kingdom. Those involved were investigated and tried. First, we have George Tan, chairman and founder of Carrion Group. His company, Carrion Group, went bankrupt in 1983. He was charged with financial fraud and twice tried in 1986 and 1992. He finally pleaded guilty in 1996 and was sentenced to three years in prison. He was released from prison in 1999. The trial of this case is one of the longest in Hong Kong and cost millions of Hong Kong dollars. Then we have Lorraine Esme Osman, chairman of BMF. Lorraine fled to London in 1983 to avoid extradition to Hong Kong on corruption charges. In December 1985, the police managed to arrest him. He was in prison for seven years in England before he was extradited to Hong Kong to serve a two-month prison sentence. He then lived in exile in London and died in 2011, and until the end of his life, Lorraine still maintained his innocence. Then we have Datuk Hashim Shamsuddin, director of BMB and BMF. When Lorraine was arrested in London, Hashim was also arrested. He finally confessed to being involved in BMF's fraudulent activities involving HK105 billion. He also admitted that he had accepted a bribe of HK15 million. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison in Hong Kong in 1987, but then the Court of Appeal added another 10 years in prison to him. Then we have Dr. Reyes Sanman, BMF Director. Dr. Reyes fled to France to avoid being extradited to Hong Kong. In 1987, he was sentenced by the French authorities. After going through many legal processes, he was finally extradited to Hong Kong in 1994. In Hong Kong, he was charged with two counts of corruption and he pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to five years in prison. However, and I'm going to butcher this name, I'd apologize, Camarail Afram, chairman of BBNB, and Ibrahim Jafar were not charged. Camarail finally just resigned, and he claimed that he didn't know anything about the big loan. He also denied receiving any consultancy fee. Ibrahim was not tried, even though he admitted to accepting bribes. This is because he became a crown witness in the Carrion Group case, and was offered immunity from criminal prosecution by the Hong Kong authorities. After that, he is still allowed to keep his position in the BMF BBMB. The Carrion Group scandal is the longest criminal case in Hong Kong's judicial history, taking 17 years and costing HK 210 million. There are other parties some people believed were responsible for the BMF scandal as well, parties that were placed a little higher up the food chain. Quote, testimony from the murdered BMF officials trial in Hong Kong links the defendant to Rezali and other unnamed cabinet officials, end quote. That's quoted from a CIA intelligence document. The unofficial fingers of guilt pointed to Tengku Rizali and several unnamed ministers. An activist group believing that Lorraine Osman was a scapegoat reportedly found evidence that George Tan was acting as a private broker and financier for Tengu Rizali, along with giving him shares that were expected to be worth HK50 million. Also, while in questioning, Mac Foon Than claimed that he worked for Tengu Rizali and was in Hong Kong collecting money on his behalf, which Tengu Rizali denied. Mac later denied making this statement during his trial and interestingly enough, a 24-page transcript of his interrogation went mysteriously missing. Quote, the 24-page statement made by Mac in which he implicated George Tan and I think even other people in Malaysia had mysteriously disappeared, and to this day, nobody knows what happened to that statement. End quote. And that was quoted from Winsome Lane, court reporter in The Banker Who Knew Too Much. However, the one person who probably was not directly involved in the shady dealings at BMF at all was Dr. Mahathir. This was mentioned in the CIA document as well as by Lorraine Osman. Quote, Thus far, no direct links have been established between Mahathir and the corruption at BMF. End quote. That's from the CIA intelligence document. And we have another quote which says quote, I have no evidence of Mahathir's involvement. I know for a fact that the executive directors of the bank who were overseeing the running of BMF were doing things that I knew nothing about. End quote and that was quoted by lorraine Osman as quoted by the malaysian bar via the sun instead the cia thinks that Mahathir was trying to contain the situation because of the political implications due to george tan's alleged ties with high-ranking umno officials on top of that the scandal would have also brought the now controversial nep into question since the scandal involved money that was supposed to help out boomy putras was instead used to bankroll dodgy chinese businesses the BMF scandal, as it became known, came with a very high cost for both the country and the people involved. In 1984, the government used Petronas to buy up 90% of BBMB shares for RM 933 million, along with absorbing RM 1.2 billion of the bad loans. Today, Bank Bumi Bumiputra is gone, bought over by CIMB in 2005. In what was referred to as putting together a good operation, CIMB was one that is poorly managed but aside from the monetary cost several lives were also affected by the scandal lorraine osmond spent the rest of his life in the uk maintaining that he was innocent and that he regretted not leaving bmf and starting his own bank he died in 2011 as i mentioned before But the highest cost was probably paid by Jalil Ibrahim and his next of kin. While we still don't know the real story behind his death, police found some of his personal notes which hinted that he might have been part of something that went far beyond his control and he wanted out of it. Quote, the bank has been used and commissioned to take money for political ends. I've tried to tell some truth. What good will it do? More likely I will be without employment, but that may be preferable. The directors may have been lazy, but the politicians have been corrupt. So much for the people the race and the country. I am just a small part of the deception. I want no more to lie and betray the bank or my family." End quote. That was from Jalil Ibrahim's personal notes quoted by Yik Kon via the South China Morning Post with that this case remains open but with many unanswered questions it still remain unanswered please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases i've covered you can follow me on all major social media platforms youtube bitchute daily motion i'm also on twitter and instagram links are all down below in the description if you have a case you'd like me to have a look at or cover don't hesitate to send me a message i'm your host and this has been the unanswered questions podcast until next time next on unanswered questions Spontaneous human combustion (SHC) is the pseudoscientific concept of the spontaneous combustion of a living or recently deceased human body without an apparent external source of ignition.